One of the um, pleasures of being a supply preacher where I pop into churches is that uh, I have had this experience many, many times where I've been in the car in the parking lot, and as I see people start going into church, I'll come out uh, to go to wherever it is that they've told me, and I'll see people see me and go, boop, 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 and head back to their car because they're like, the preacher ain't here today. I go to this church, and so y'all expect me to hear, be here, so I, I didn't notice anybody doing that today, and uh, appreciate, appreciate that. Uh, I also laugh because my family has big heads, and uh, somebody said, I saw the back of your head, and I thought, oh, that's Fant preaching, and I thought, oh boy, can't get away from it. So thank you, uh, Pastor Josh, for the invitation uh, to be able to come and, and speak to my church, my family's church. We love this church so much and love the heritage of this church and the way that this church supports uh, missions and sends for missions. We'll, we'll talk about uh, sending a little bit here in a minute. Um, but also for sacrificial giving at North Greenville, we receive part of your tithes and offerings. Uh, some of that goes through what we call the cooperative program, and that allows big churches, little churches, everybody to put into the pot, and then that pot is distributed out to different uh, institutions. We're one of those institutions. And just last week, we hosted summer camps. We've been hosting camps all summer, but just last week, we saw 49 teenagers make professions of faith on campus. We'll see over 200, it looks like, this summer. And I have to tell you, I have my social media feeds set up to where I get things like that from all over the country, and God is doing something among young people right now. I think in the wake of the pandemic, young people in particular have gotten tired of seeing a culture that says there is no hope, there's nothing but division, but they long for something more than that, which actually is part of what we're going to talk about this morning. And so, we are so grateful at North Greenville for the way that Taylor supports you. We have a number of our board members who go here, former board members who are here, uh, and um, I'll, I'll mention a couple of just highlights. It's been a really wonderful year. I wouldn't be a president if I didn't do uh, a little commercial, uh, but we have the most applications for the freshman class this year we've ever had in the history of the university. It looks like the freshman class is going to be the largest since 2015 or 16, and uh, I'm also wearing a baseball championship ring. Can I just point that out to anybody? And uh, I want to say something about that national championship in baseball, and, and that is this. Throughout my career, uh, because uh, my doctorate is in English, and that is typically a secular uh, field, um, one of the things that I've heard throughout my career is that Christian is not the same thing as excellent. And I often will have people who will say, you Christians don't really know how to do anything well. Well, uh, I've got a ring to show that we do, actually. Uh, there's physical evidence for that. And, and I love what happens in sports, in fine arts, and all the things that we do at the university where we are Christ-centered and we take that seriously uh, so that when we have things that are visible successes to the world, it gives us an opportunity to say, okay, yet that's caught your attention. Let us talk to you about what's really, really important. And uh, we're so grateful that this church, uh, Russell Ashmore and some other folks from a previous generation are ones who had that vision for how athletics and fine arts and things like that uh, could really uh, take the university to another level. And I'll also add that Bo and Donna Davies, I saw them here, they have a daughter that our coach married, and that also probably was a help as well. Uh, and so Taylor's contributed directly through a young lady that grew up in this church uh, marrying the guy that would become our uh, coach. 
We're going to be in Psalm 19 this morning, and if you've turned there, uh, I, I, I know y'all are comfortable, but I'm going to ask you to stand back up out of respect for God's Word. I like to call attention to the centrality of God's Word in our worship, and you'll see why that's particularly important uh, with this passage. And so if you are able, if you would rise and listen to these words from Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of His hands. Day after day they pour out speech, night after night they communicate knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words, their voice is not heard, their message has gone out to the whole earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pinched a tent for the sun, like a bridegroom coming from his home. It rejoices like an athlete running a course. It rises from one end of the heavens and circles to the other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey, dripping from a honeycomb. And in addition, your servant is warned by them, and in keeping them, there is an abundant reward. Who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule me. Then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord my rock and my redeemer. God, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful for your world. And God, we are grateful for the way that you have revealed yourself to us. God, in other religions, people have to seek out the divine. In Christianity, we know that the divine has revealed himself to us and has sought us out such that he sent his only son to establish a relationship and reconciliation with us. And so today, God, I just pray that I can get out of the way of your words and that you will prepare our hearts, our ears, our minds, our hands for the word that you've given us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. When I was a child, uh, I was born in Mississippi. My family is from Anderson County. Uh, some of you may have hunted at Fance Grove Wildlife Area at Clemson. That's the old family land grant from the Revolutionary War. But my branch ended up moving down to Mississippi. At one time, my dad and my granddad pastored on, in the same town. Dad was on one side of town. Grandfather was on the other side. Uh, but then when I was a child, our family got called into church planting. And my dad uh, answered the response from the home mission board, which is now the North American Mission Board. And we moved to a little town called Fredonia, New York. Fredonia and Dunkirk, the twin cities right there on Lake Erie, just south of Buffalo. Dad started something like nine churches in seven years, which is amazing. I think my mom is watching the stream uh, from San Antonio. So hi, mom. She was the pastor's wife to all of that. And I loved that we lived kind of out in the country. Our parsonage had seven acres 
And that seven acres backed into what I thought was an infinity of woods. We had a gravel pit, y'all. We had creeks that were filled with crawdads. I never heard the crawdads sing. I don't know what that book's about, but I do know there's a movie out about it. But we had critters everywhere. I am not making this up. Our next door neighbor kept a herd of bison. I grew up with bison in the field next to us. He had pat raccoons and possums. It was a wild place to grow up. And mom and dad believed that children should be allowed to be bored. Did anybody else grow up like that? Mom and dad said you ought to be bored. We didn't have any of this digital stuff. And uh, because we lived out in the country, you waited till the lights came on, but it was your time to do what you wanted, go out stomping in the woods. And I lived in a place where it was possible to grow up in contemplation of nature. And so because we lived on a little escarpment that went up, you could look out onto Lake Erie. On clear days, you could see all the way to Canada, believe it or not. And in the evenings, the sunsets would come up and drop down over the lake, which was basically to the west of where we lived. And uh, that created unbelievable sunsets. And so as a kid, I loved those sunsets. Uh, living that far north, sunsets were later in the evening. It was about 10 o'clock when we would get sunsets in the summer. And I grew up falling in love with sunsets and thought that they were really cool. Lisa and I and the kids moved to Jupiter, Florida before we came here. And in Jupiter, Florida is right on the ocean on the entry coastal canal and many evenings Lisa and I would leave the kids with the dirty dishes we would drive to Wendy's and get a frosty and we would go sit and watch the sunset at the ocean and just watch the light in this case behind us descending and watch the sky change all those colors when we moved to Tigerville we were wondering about sunsets we had no idea what the sunsets in the upstate were like y'all we have some amazing sunsets in fact, after the first service, I had people who said, can I show you my Psalm 19 photos? And it was all photos of sunsets from all over the place. We love sunrises. Well, those of you who are up for them love sunrises. I, I've not seen a lot of sunrises. That's not my way. But I love sunsets uh, because to me, it's like this rhythm. It's the end of the day. Uh, last couple of weeks, I was on vacation, and Lisa and I went to a place that was gorgeous. She asked me not to mention the name of the place because she doesn't want you all going there next year. Uh, we like being able to walk in the quiet on the beach, but I asked the media people to pop a, a PowerPoint for us here. This place had wild cows. I've heard of wild horses. I've never heard of wild cows. They're descendants apparently of Spanish cows from uh, some sort of a shipwreck. So we heard that the cows were down the beach, and uh, so we head on down, we saw the cows out there, we were taking pictures, there were calves next to them, it was really cool. Later we saw them in people's yards, I can't even imagine wild cows in your yards with your plants, right? Um, but when we turned around from this and started heading back down to the parking area, the sun was starting to set. And so I had to take a picture of it because I thought those colors were kind of cool. And then the sun kept setting and I took another picture. And then the sun kept setting and I took another picture. And then the sun kept setting and I took another picture and all of a sudden the little glory streaks started showing up. And all I could think was when the pastor said, Dr. Fant, would you preach today? I thought, and from the Psalms, I thought, oh, I got the Psalm. Can I do 19? And he said, absolutely. And I thought, I've got the photos on my phone because everybody's got photos from Psalm 19 on their phone, whether you realize it or not. And it's because the heavens declare the glory of God. And when we see these opening verses here about the heavens declaring it, the expanse proclaims the work of his hand, I'm fascinated by this because I'm a literary specialist. And verse two says, they pour out speech. 
Verse 2 also says they communicate knowledge. And then verse 3 says there is no speech. So how can you have speech and no speech? How can you have knowledge communicated but no words? And it's because it says it without words. And the heavens themselves declare the glory of God. Their message goes out among the whole world to the ends of the world. Everyone in the world who has ever lived has seen a sunset. Most people have seen sunrises. At night in New York, we had almost no street lights, and this is before we had a lot of the light pollution, and so I could lie in bed at night and look at the stars out the window. Sometimes we would go as a family, we would put a blanket on the ground, and we would look up at that black velvet with those shining diamonds all over the place, and we would just be amazed to see how thick it was. Yes, we could actually see the Milky Way back then. It's hard to see that now unless we're really in a rural area. But I grew up loving God because I saw these incredible things all around in nature. And as they helped me to understand that there is a God and that this God loves me and this God has a plan for me, this passage has become really crucial and central to the way that I think. And so I want to unpack a few things about this just to start and the first one is that this is what we call general revelation. The first six verses are general revelation. That's revelation of God to the entire world that everybody sees all the time. And the idea here is that we can know that God exists because of what we see all around us that is outside of us. This is something that is uniquely human. In fact, we call this the argument from aesthetics for the existence of God. That beauty tells us that there's something unique going on about the universe and about God. Sometimes I'll be walking and I'll stop dead in my tracks because I'll see something and I wanna take a picture of it or I wanna check it out. During COVID, we went for a hike as a family and we were coming around this bend and we kept hearing this noise, kept hearing this noise and as we went just a little more around the bend, there was this huge waterfall that we didn't know anything about and we just sat there looking at this waterfall. It was so beautiful and you could smell those ions that were coming off of it and we all just sat there worshiping really as we were looking at all that. This is something that is uniquely human. My dogs have never decorated their houses with paintings. I've seen people that decorate dog houses with paintings, but I've never seen a dog go to you know, Hobby Lobby going, I need frames for this. Uh, I've never had a cat that stared up in the sky and, and just really mused upon how beautiful the clouds were. I've seen them look at the sky, but that's because there were birds and they wanted to... Uh, Capture. I've never seen a group of snakes sitting around in the evening staring at the stars, hissing their approval at how beautiful the stars are. No, humans are uniquely interested in beauty. Animals are interested in food, water, procreation, and survival. But there's something in us that resonates when we see beauty. We actually build expensive buildings called museums so we can go look and see beautiful things. We have social media sites like Instagram that are set up so we can post pictures and everybody can ooh and ah over these things. We have all of these ways of capturing beauty because we are the only species on this planet that understands beauty. We're the only ones that listen to music and, and have particular responses to it. Others might respond to the sounds in some way. Birds certainly sing. But we're the only ones that analyze it and set up colleges so we can study it. Just this week, we've seen the new photos of the heavens from the Webb telescope. And we're a species that spends hundreds of millions of dollars to do scientific research. And the takeaway from that research is, look at the pretty pictures. 
That's because as humans, we respond to beauty in a particular way. The ancients responded to the beauty that was in nature by saying, this must be something more than us. This must be the divine. Only Christianity said, no, it is not the divine. There was a God who made all of this, and he is the one who is divine. In fact, it's one of the unique things about Christian theology as opposed to almost all other places theology. And it's one of the reasons why science arose in the West in the way that it did was we didn't think the sun was a God. We believe the sun was created by God to reveal himself to us. Therefore, we could study it, understand it, and understand more about God himself. And so when we look at a passage like this and we think about the heavens declaring the glory of God, it reminds us that we are uniquely human. We are the only ones who think about certain things in certain ways. One of my friends who's a professional sculptor says this, God has given us the gift of beauty. It's free. We don't have to pay to see a sunset. We don't have to subscribe to the fall foliage. We don't have to pull out a credit card to visit the beach. Well, Sort of, but not, you know what I mean. Our creator loves us and has wired the universe in a way that is beautiful when it didn't have to be beautiful. It could be functional, it could be practical and not be beautiful. But instead, he made sunsets and sunrises and waterfalls and fall foliage in such a way to communicate to us that there is something outside of nature and that something wants to communicate with us. The second thing that we can understand from the heavens is that the heavens are ordered. This is an argument for the existence of God from predictability. When Lisa and I were at the beach, we checked into our rental house and the landlord had provided us with a tide chart so we could see when high tide and low tide was. Low tide for shelling, high tide for surfing and boogie boarding, right? And that is happening in regular ways because the Earth's waters bulge with the gravitational pull of the moon. The tides are regular. We know when they're going to happen. They don't happen at the wrong time. The sun comes up at a particular time. It goes down at a particular time. We can actually go back and look at plays from the Renaissance and know what day certain things happen in the plays because of the description of the constellations. And we can go back and track the star charts all the way back hundreds of years and know what the stars look like on a particular night of the week because they are predictable. They are things that happen in orderly ways. We know how to make calendars because time is ordered and predictable. The universe is ordered and predictable, and that means that we may be masters of time who can study it, but we are not makers of time. We can't make more for ourselves. We can figure out how to use it better, but the reality is we all have the same amount of time in our days and nothing we do can create more. And that's because the heavens are ordered. The heavens themselves, though, declare that there was something that made them orderly. Things in nature do not sit around and become more complex. They just do not. It's called thermodynamics. If the universe happens in an orderly way that we can predict, then that means it must be structured that way intentionally. And why is that? To reveal itself to us that God himself is outside of it. Which leads us to the third thing, the heavens are transcendent. We call this the argument for the existence of God from time. People are born, people die. Animals are born, animals die. An event has a beginning, an event has an end. While the stars, the mountains, and other things may outlast individual human lives, we know that those things have beginnings and ends as well. Just this week, Stephen Meyer of the Discovery Institute had an article in Newsweek that was talking about how they are starting to realize in science that the universe must have had a beginning. Well, congratulations. I think we've already known that for a while because something never comes from nothing. 
As ancient as the stars are, as permanent as sunrises and sunsets seems, they are part of the material world and therefore they are subordinate to the one who has made them. And this is particularly true about us as humans. We may not like to think about death or talk about it, and our lives, though, are not the center of the universe. We are not infinite because we live in a world that is not infinite, but the one who made the world is infinite and eternal and by definition is outside of creation. And he has communicated through the physical world. He has communicated that to each and every one of us. See, God's revelation is a powerful part of God's word. We find it all over it. I'll give you just a couple of examples. In Isaiah 55, it says, you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Have you ever been in the mountains when it's perfectly quiet and there's that whisper of a breath and you can hear the rustling of the trees? That's what this is. They are responding to the universe in a way that God designed it such that there would be beauty created and we ourselves could respond to it. Luke 19, 39 through 40. Some of the disciples, the Pharisees in the crowd came to Jesus and said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus answered and said, I tell you, if these disciples were silent, the very stones would cry out. If you've ever been to Europe, you can go to cathedrals where the gospel has not been preached in centuries, but the stones of those cathedrals, the windows of those cathedrals, which are melted sand, tell the story of the gospel and the stones and the sand themselves still cry out even when the gospel is not proclaimed with words. We can go into those places and we can feel there's something different there. At NGU, we have the Todd Prayer Chapel. This happens frequently. It's a beautiful place with stone and water and some plants. And often we will have non-believers who visit our campus and they walk in the room, stop dead in their tracks and say, what is going on here? It's because the stones themselves cry out. Even our bodies are marked with general revelation. Ecclesiastes 3 says, I've seen the busyness that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He's made everything beautiful in its time, but he's also put eternity in man's heart so that he cannot find what God has done from the beginning to the end. He's placed eternity in our heart, a longing for something more, and that's one of the ways that he has revealed himself to us is that we all want something more. We look at birth, we look at death, we think, mustn't there be something more than this? And God himself has placed that yearning for eternity in our hearts. And often when missionaries go abroad, this is one of the first things that happens is people in the community will say, we've longed to hear such a thing, but we had no idea it was possible. You are telling telling us that transcendence can happen, and the missionaries tell them about the gospel. Now, we also see, starting with verse 7, that God's word instructs us. It's not just the general revelation of God's world, it's also the special revelation of God's written word that is revealed to us in writing through the authors of the scriptures, and God chose to give us the scriptures in order to reveal himself to us specifically. That's why we call it special revelation. And I could talk about everything that's going on in verses 7 through 11 basically all day, but I want to boil them down to something. Look in this passage at the phrases that that are used to describe God's word. They're perfect, they're reviving, they're sure, they're wise, they're right, they're rejoicing, they're pure, they're enlightening, they're clean, they're enduring, they're true, they're righteous, they're desired, they're sweeter, they're award. God's word is the antidote to the world that we live in. 
So we see the physical world, we see nature and we go, wow, yay God. But then we also see that the world has problems in it. There's chaos, there's conflict, there's a lack of peace. When we watch the news and start our day in the morning, we are starting our day with chaos instead of with the things that should be inspiring us. And so God has given us an antidote here through his written word. He can inspire us through the world. He can teach us through his word. And then there's this other part that's also amazing. That is that God's spirit disciples us and disciplines us. So when we get to verses 12 through 14, look what it says. Who can discern his errors? And then he says, declare me innocent from hidden faults. He looks to God and he says, I can't do this myself. I can't declare myself innocent. I need for you to declare me as innocent. I need for you to protect me. I need for you to look at my life and show me the things that need to be brought into the public and need to be repented of. And then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression, not because of what I've done, but instead of what God himself has done through Christ. And then verse 14, the prayer that I pray often before I preach as I'm sitting in the car before I come into the church is this verse. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. See, God uses general revelation to reveal himself to us, special revelation to convict us and tell us who he is and how reconciliation with him is possible. And then the spirit, once we have salvation, the spirit then begins to woo us and to guide us. And what it all helps us to understand is that we are not the agents of our redemption. God, in fact, is the agent of our redemption. Taylor's First Baptist has ongoing work in Boston, and one of the things that I was uh, happy about when I came here uh, as a new member was to find out about all the things going on in Boston. Boston's one of our great cities. Uh, Anyone who's been to Boston knows that there are colleges everywhere in Boston. You can't turn a corner without running into uh, college. I had the incredible good opportunity uh, to study at Harvard one summer and uh, do a certificate program there. And while I was there, we got tours all over the place. And uh, I want to tell you about one of the tours. And uh, so we're going to get a slide up here. So I'm, I'm at Harvard. I'm riding a bus. They're taking us on this tour. Now, just for context, Harvard is the oldest university in the United States. It was founded in 1636. Its endowment is $53.2 billion. Their endowment is a 1,000 times the size of North Greenville's. Harvard has no tuition to charge because their endowment fully funds all their operations. It's just astounding. They have 79 libraries at Harvard, 20 million books and other resources. Its alumni include eight U.S. presidents and 188 living billionaires. It's just astounding. So I'm at Harvard, running around Cambridge, we're on this uh, bus. And uh, one of the things that I like to do is to eavesdrop. And so I was eavesdropping on some conversations and one of the people sitting near me said, does anybody know what Veritas is? And uh, I had Latin with Miss Frazier at Kikatan High School, so I knew what Veritas was. I was curious to hear if anybody else knew what Veritas was. And so uh, somebody said, I think it's Latin for Harvard. Because at Harvard, this stuff is everywhere. Every building has the crest, all the T-shirts, the sweatshirts, the ball caps. You go to the bookstore, it's nothing but this thing all over the place. And other people started making other suggestions about, you know, what it was. Uh, And I finally couldn't take it anymore. And I said, well, actually, you know you're a smart mouth if you start a sentence with actually. (laughs) So, you know, I was doing my my best college professor. said, well, actually, Veritas is Latin for truth. Harvard's motto is truth, but it's actually 
veritas pro Christo et ecclesiae. And so you see inside the circle, Christo et ecclesiae, the, the pro is actually implied uh, by the declension, but it's veritas Christo et ecclesiae. And I told the group on the bus, I said, its motto was originally truth for Christ in the church because Harvard was a Christian college that trained pastors to serve the young colonies. Dead silence on the bus. Finally, somebody says, Harvard was a Christian college? And I said, yes, actually, for about the first 200 years of its existence, it served uh, primarily as that function. They believe that an educated group of Christians could help to shape the paths of everything. Everybody kind of chuckled at that. I was kind of saddened by it. Now, I, I want to leave this up because I want to point out that this crest is actually based on Psalm 19. If you look at it under VE and RI and TAS, you see three open books. The open books are the open books of Psalm 19. The first one is the open book of God's world, that when we're in college and we're being educated, we should study God's creation so that we can understand God better. The second open book is the book of God's word, that God's inspired word is there to teach us about who God is so that we can change our lives. The third one is the book of God's spirit that works inside of our hearts to help us understand who God is and what God wants to do through each and every one of us. And so when it says truth for Christ in the church, what it meant was that we are to read God's world and study it. We are to read God's word and study it. We are to take time in the evenings and in the other parts of the day to reflect on it and allow God's spirit inside of us to help us to understand him better. And that that is what real education is all about. When you strip away Christ and you strip away the church and you just make it about open books in general, you have taken away the heart of what it originally was. Let me give you a further example of that. In 1905, they were building a new building for the philosophy department at Harvard. It's Ralph Waldo Emerson Hall. Uh, it still stands. You can go visit it. Emerson was the founder of Transcendentalism, uh, which was a new philosophical system that sought intentionally to distance itself from Orthodox Christianity. And they went to the faculty at Harvard, the legend says. They went to the faculty and said, what do you want inscribed over the doors? All the gates at Harvard have scripture passages over. So when you walk into Harvard Yard, all the gates in have scripture passages on. That place drips with scripture in its oldest buildings. But these faculty members, so it's said, decided that they wanted a different passage over it. The passage they wanted was man is the measure of all things. The idea behind man is the measure of all things is that we are the ultimate determiners of everything. There is nothing outside of us. The Greek philosopher who said those words was Protagoras. Protagoras was the father of relativism. We still suffer from relativism now. Relativism is the philosophy that says there is no truth. There's only your truth and somebody else's truth, and you can't come to a consensus about the truth, and so you get to measure what truth is yourself, and that's where it all lies. At the university whose motto was truth, the philosophy department declared war on the mission of the school and said, we don't want truth, we want somebody quoted who's gonna say there is no truth. Now somebody was sneaky and the faculty weren't watching the construction apparently because when they unveiled the building, the inscription had been changed and somebody had changed it to Psalm 8:4. What is man that thou art mindful of him? 
Listen to that in context. Psalm 8 says this, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established the strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your hands, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Those people that wanted the other statement wanted to say we are the greatest thing in all of creation. The guy that slipped it out said, no, 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 we are not. God is the one who made us. And what is manful that we, he is mindful of us because we are lower, lower, lower. See, we have a society that does the same thing. Have you noticed that righteousness and rationality go together? As our society becomes more unrighteous, it becomes more irrational, and as it becomes more irrational, it becomes more unrighteous. That is because it has rejected the truth of Christ. And if it's not in alignment with God's word and God's world, it is not reality, it is irrational, and that means it is therefore unrighteous. And we live in a culture now that embraces those things all the time. And what I wanna remind everybody just as we're concluding today is this simple fact. When you see a sunset, it is a reminder that that sunset didn't happen by itself. We can explain the physics of the waveforms and the solar particles and all these other things that are on there, but the reality is that sunset did not make itself. The system was set in place by someone who did put all that in place and did it in a way to communicate to humans. We're the only ones that perceive that. He set it in order so that we can study it. We're the only ones that can perceive that and study that. He did it in such a way as to reveal himself so that we know more. And then he gave us God's word so now we can get that alignment between God's word and God's world. And we can then see how we can live as a place of flourishing. And as people of flourishing, when we think about God's word and we reflect, and it tells us that we are sinful. But the great news is that we are not merely sinful. God, who set up the universe, sent his son to rescue us from our sins so that we can be in alignment with him and everything else. Maybe tonight you're gonna go get ice cream at Dillard's or one of the other great places here and do it around sunset. When that start, sun starts going down and those oranges start coming out, realize why those oranges are there in that sky. The next time you're looking at a waterfall and you smell those ions and you think about the beauty of that, understand why that is there. It's there because God is mindful of you. And he's so mindful of you that he sent his son to this world to reconcile you to him through his sacrifice. Let's pray. God, we are grateful that we don't worship a God that said, I'm gonna sit over here, you guys figure it out. But instead, you have created a world you did not have to create created it in a way that you did not have to create it, have communicated through it in a way that you did not have to do, and then you sent your word to us in the scriptures to make sure that we aren't missing it. God, I pray even this morning that we will all be convicted of how we sometimes miss the beauty that is around us. And in the process, we miss a message from you. God, I pray that as we reflect on our lives and reflect on our hearts, that we will understand that we are sinful creatures, that sin has touched everything in this world, but the amazing thing is that you sent your son to reconcile with us so that we can not just enjoy the beauty of the universe, 
we can enjoy the creator of the universe. So God, even in this time of invitation, we pray that there's anyone who needs to make you Lord of their lives to declare the glory of your lordship, that this can happen today. We pray these things in Christ's name.